Well, I want to welcome everyone to Emmanuel. How are you doing today? Pretty good? Everybody fired up? Excited to be at church? Um, I am fired up about this talk. This is uh, maybe my favorite talk in this series. Uh, I'm not sure why. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but I'm just very excited to be talking to you today, and I'm glad that you got dressed. You put your church clothes on today. You got the, the kids here or the grandkids here, and you fought through the parking, and you're here, and you got some coffee, and thank you for joining us today. I think this is going to be a blessing, continue to be a blessing uh, to you. You guys appreciate the worship team and the worship band leading us. And that God uses them every week to lead us to, to express gratitude and love towards, towards God and Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross that Jesus made. And so, um, but yeah, we're in a series right now called Pursuing Awesome. And if you're a first-time guest with us here today, I want to catch you up really quick on where we've been. A series simply means a, a five weeks of teachings revolving around the same idea. And what we've been saying in this series, unfortunately, is that most people in this country, in fact, most people in this world have settled for average less than what they're capable of, and less than what they desire in their life. And we've been talking about the reality that that's not how we grew up. No nine-year-old or six-year-old or eight-year-old or ten-year-old says, Mommy and Daddy, I know what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be a C. I just want to be mediocre. I just want to be middle of the road. I just want to be average, right? No, they talk about wanting to do something awesome with their life, you know, like be a doctor or a lawyer or an architect or interior designer or an astronaut or a major league professional athlete or be in the Olympics. And as little kids, and you remember what you dreamed about being a little kid, right? You remember having those dreams. You wanted to do something awesome with your life. But for some reason, as time goes by, maybe it's friends or parents or teachers or coaches or enemies, you know, the schoolyard bully or something, they say things that kind of cause us to go, ah, maybe I'm not that smart. Maybe I'm not that gifted. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't dream that big. I actually had a high school basketball coach tell me that, hey, dude, you're never going to make it to the NBA, so you just better quit talking about that. And I was like, you know, even if that were true, is that what you tell a kid, right? You know, I mean, I, it was probably true, but, but you don't tell the kid that, right? You say, no, man, shoot for the stars, right? And, and I just, you know, you get this feedback and you kind of settle in for mediocre or for average. You know, it was Todd Henry who said this in his book, uh, Die Empty. He said, no one charts a course for mediocrity, yet it's still the destination of choice. And this series is really designed to kind of say, hey, let's, let's refuse to be average. Let's try to figure out how to live a completely awesome life. Look, as this series has gone on, I've become more and more convinced in my heart that it is God's will for every single one of us to live an awesome life. Do you agree with this? Do you believe that God created you to live an awesome life? Some of, look, some of you are not convinced. You're like, I think so. Are you serious? Like, why did you show up today, right? Your hope is that you're going to hear something that's going to help you in your life. You have to believe that God put you on this planet to live a flipping awesome life. Am I, do you agree with this? Come on, you got to believe that. Man. Some of you need another cup of coffee. Uh, so, but I believe that. I believe that, that, that God wants me to live an awesome I believe he wants the same thing for you. Why is it so hard? Why is awesome so hard? Well, awesome is hard for lots of different reasons. You know, we talked about week one, the fixed mindset. We don't believe we can grow. We don't think we can get better. And we got to change that out with the growth mindset. Man, I challenge you to read Carol Dwick's book that was recommended to me. And you can go back and watch week one. 
man, there's, there, a lot of times we don't reach awesome is because we don't have a target on the wall. Like, we have no idea what awesome even looks like. We haven't even put it on the wall. So you know what? An awesome life looks like, you know, I adopt a child or, or I start a business or I, learn a, or I learn a different language and I'm able to give back to people this way financially or I'm financially independent or, or whatever. You haven't even put the target on the wall. And, and some of you are living an average life because you don't even have a target to shoot for, right? You can't hit a target that you don't have. And so we talked about that in week two and I kind of gave you four ideas to help you come up with what awesome is. It's going to glorify God. It's going to engage your heart. It's going to be bigger than your life and it's going to leverage your gifts. I hope you took the time, those of you who are here for that week, to kind of create a picture of what awesome looks like for your life. And then last week we talked about the importance of overcoming failure because on the journey towards awesome, you are going to mess up. Failure is required. And it's actually exciting because it's evidence that you're moving forward, right? In other, in other words, if you want to achieve, you actually have to fail. And if you avoid failure, you're going to be avoiding awesome. That was last week. And, I mean, I want to preach that one again. That's a good one. Some of you weren't here for that. I can't, I can't preach last week's message. I, I can only preach this one right here. So here we are today, right? And what we're talking about today is another reason why people get hung up on average. And that is simply this. We fail to reach awesome because we fail to take, say it with me, action. We know what to do and we don't do it. Someone tells us what to do and we don't move. What we do is we put it off and we procrastinate and we fail to take action. You've heard it said, ready, aim, fire, right? Most of us are hanging out in the aim. <laughs> Have you noticed this? What are you doing? I'm aiming. How long have you been aiming? A decade. <laughs> I'm just getting ready. <laughs> I've got my guns pointed. I'm aiming. What are you doing? I'm aiming. Come on. How come you haven't fired yet? There's lots of reasons why we haven't fired. Isn't, aren't there? There's, there's, you know, there's the whole idea that we're afraid to fire because we know that when we actually take action, when we actually fire, it's going to require some effort. There's gonna, you're going to have to pay the price, and we don't, we not, we're not sure if we're ready to pay the price. We like our comfort zone, and so taking, because taking action involves a little bit of discomfort and a little bit of pain, we, we keep aiming. We tell people we're aiming. <laughs> we're getting ready to do something, right? In the future, we're going to do it. We're not ready to pay the price. The Bible talks about this person in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. The lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go out there, it's going to eat me. It's going to kill me. <laughs> this is the Bible's attempted humor. This is supposed to be funny. See that? This is the person who says, yeah, I know I should act. I know I need to do some certain, certain things to have a better life. But let me tell you about why I can't. You see, I'm not educated enough. I don't know the right people. I don't have a resume that's good enough. I don't know anybody. I don't have the right connections. And blah, 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 blah. Right? You have all the same excuses, don't you? There's a lion out there. If I take action, I might get hurt. Come on. This is hogwash. But that's why we stay in the aim. We're just aiming all day, all year. We're aiming. I've been there. Have you been there? Average. People are aiming. Another reason we, we don't take action is because we, we're perfectionists, or at least we think we are. <laughs> and if we actually take action, we, well, it's not going to be good enough, and then we're going to be embarrassed, and somebody's going to say, man, what's that all about, you know? <laughs> Why did you, what, that's a mess. And, and then we're like, so we don't, we don't take action because we're perfectionists. But it was G.K. Chesterton who said this, and I have, to, I have to live out these words probably more than any of you today. He said, anything worth doing is worth doing wrong. Have you heard him say that? 
Anything worth doing is worth doing wrong. This is how we learned how to ride a bike. See, my brothers, I had two older brothers that were whipping around in their two-wheelers, right? And I was like, I don't know, six or seven years old. And I'm like, I want to be like my bros. And so I, I wanted to ride a bike. And so what did I do? I was terrible at it. I got on, I'd fall off. I got on, I'd fall off. I got on, I fell off. I was doing it wrong consistently, but I wanted it. So I kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. Before I knew it, I was on two wheels. I was riding the, in the motorcycle gang that we had there as a bicycle gang. And I was one of the boys. I was with them. I could keep up with them, right? But I had to be willing to do it wrong. See, right now I've got about 10,000 words in my book, which is not much. <laughs> you got to have like 50 or 60,000 words. But I'm making progress, see? And the other day, the lady that was going to help maybe publish the book, she said, hey, why don't you send me what you have? Like, send you what I wrote? Like, what, I, what I'm working on? Yeah, just go ahead and send it to me. <laughs> oh, man. That was, that was Wednesday, I think. I still haven't sent the words to her. <laughs> what's going on inside of me? You know what's going on? I know it's terrible. I know the sentence structure is wrong. I know the spelling sucks. Anybody else terrible at spelling? I mean, it's read all over the document, right? And I'm like, if I send that to you, I'm going to be embarrassed. And when you read that, so I haven't sent them yet, right? I want to go back and make it perfect. So says she's all impressed and, oh, what a good writer you are. And so, oh, I'm all messed up. Anybody else messed up? <laughs> so what am I doing? I'm aiming. I'm aiming. I'm one day I'm going to do this, what I'm going to do, right? And so it's, it's, we get stuck there. But there's a, there's a small percentage of people that actually change, that actually take action. In your notes, just the way I wrote it, the difference between people who are living an average life and an awesome life is the willingness to, say it with me, grind. Now, someone told me before the first service that the word, that, that grinding is a dance move, and, um, and, that, it's an in, and that it's an inappropriate dance move. Uh, now, some of you saw me dance at the Marriage Rocks event. You know I don't know anything about dancing, okay? I don't even know what grinding looks like on the dance floor. So that's not the type of grinding I'm talking about in church today, okay? You with me? Say yes. You with me? Okay. We're talking about a different type of grinding, okay? I'm talking about the type of grinding that refers to work. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about hard, sweaty, all-day type of work. It was Tony Robbins who said this. The path to success is to take massive, determined action. That's what he said. He said, is that in the Bible? Does the Bible teach that we should be psycho about work? That we should be willing to grind day in and day out? You better believe it does. In Proverbs chapter 22, it says this. I'm sorry, chapter 14. It says, all hard, say it with me, work. Not, you know, half-hearted work. All hard work brings profit. But mere talk leads only to what? Yeah. You ever talk about what you're going to do? <laughs> I'm really good at this. My wife is here. I come home about every week with a different idea. Hey, what if we did this? <laughs> I, think, I think God wants me to do this. I think I want to do this. And it's like talk, talk. And, you know, now it's gotten to the point where I've coached her. You know, she's agreed at least. She's so kind to just say, wow. <laughs> wow. Because I do a lot of talking, right, about what I would like to do or like to be one day or where I'd like to go or whatever, right? But see, what, what, what the Bible teaches that is that if you want to get somewhere, if you want to experience some profit, you got to put in some hard work. In other words, my translation, you got to be willing to grind it out day in and day out, week in and week out, month after month, year after year, and if need be, decade after decade before you reach or if you would like to reach your 
awesome. You say, is there an example you could share? Well, let me share an example of a little uh, organization. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a business called McDonald's. Uh, the small little operation they got, it's in 100 countries, 36,000 stores. They do billions upon billions of dollars every year in business, okay? If you don't know the story, I'll tell you real quick. It's, it's a fascinating story. Ray Kroc is the, the founder of, uh, of McDonald's. His autobiography uh, is called Grinding It Out. Now, we didn't get the title of the series from this book, but I thought that was ironic that that's the title of this book. Go back to the 1920s, Ray Kroc was a door-to-door salesman. He sold paper cups. 20 years he sold paper cups. He would go all day long to about 5.30, uh, and then he would go to his other job, which was playing piano at the radio station back in the 20s. Then he would take a break at about 8 o'clock at night, go home, eat dinner, and go back to the radio station and play piano for the radio all the way till 2 a.m. Every single day, grinding. 20 years go by. In the 1940s, he goes in to see one of his... Uh, uh, the, the people that bought cups from him, one of his customers, and he notices that inside uh, the drugstore, there was this milkshake machine that could make eight milkshakes at one time. It was called the multi-mixer. He fell in love with this milkshake machine. He's like, this is fascinating. He leaves the cup business, and he starts selling multi-mixers all across the country. Of course, he's, he's grinding and grinding and grinding, becomes very, very successful at selling these machines. He finds out that there's a store out all the way out in California that's working about six of these machines at one time, each machine making eight milkshakes at a time. He's fascinated. He goes out to see this restaurant. They're also selling these 15-cent hamburgers with these incredible french fries. Have you ever had one? They're pretty good, right? He goes over there. He is absolutely fascinated by what he's seeing. There's people everywhere. There's lines everywhere, right? He goes to the McDonald's brothers. There's just one store. He says, hey guys, you got something here. Let's go nationwide with this. We're gonna, this, this, this could blow up all across the country. The McDonald's brothers tell him, nah. We like California. It's comfy. They even take Ray to show him uh, their house. This is where we live. We would like to stay in California. And they tell him no. Long story short, Ray says, but what if, what if I do it? What if you sign a contract with me and I'll take this idea back to Chicago and then from there we'll go nationwide. And the rest is history. When he died, his net worth was $500 million. This pers- personal worth. That was years and years and years ago. Listen to what Ray said on his journey. He said, when I left when I flew back to Chicago that fateful day, that fateful day in 1954, I had a freshly signed contract with the McDonald's brothers in my briefcase. I was a battle-scarred veteran of the business wars, but I was still eager to go into, ready, action. I was 52 years old. I had diabetes and, and, and incipient arthritis. I had lost my gallbladder and most of my thyroid gland in earlier campaigns. Talk about a battle-scarred business warrior. But I was convinced that the best was yet ahead of me. I mean, what, what kind of psycho do you got to believe that the best is still ahead of you when you're 52 and your body is failing? Listen, he continues. He says this, my years of experience in selling paper cups and multi-mixers paid off here because I knew exactly what hands that I knew exactly what hands held the strings I wanted to pull to get the job done. People have marveled at the fact that I didn't start McDonald's until I was 52 years old and then became a success overnight. But I was just like a lot of show business personalities who would work away quietly at their craft for years and then suddenly they get the right break and make it big. Listen to this. 
I was an overnight success, all right, but 30 years is a long, long night. <laughs> Grinding it out, decade after decade, right? And then finally, he comes across this idea. You see, here's what I want to share with you today. If you want to experience awesome, what you described back in week two and what, what God has for you, the good works that he's preparing in advance for you to fulfill, you are going to have to grind for probably decades before you experience it. I wish there were another way, but there is not another way. Why in the world does action work? Why in the world does grinding work? Well, there's several reasons. The first one is this. When you take action, you attract people that are going to come behind you, and they're going to support you, and they're going to help you. Listen, when you see a person who's moving forward, who knows where they want to go, people are either going to get out of the way, or they're going to help them and join them in and say, dude, I want to be, I like what you're doing. I want to help you. I want to get on your team. And we're going to talk more about that next week. No one achieves awesome on their own. It takes a group of people for you to experience awesome in your life. We're gonna, and we'll hit on that more next week. But you, you start attracting these people that want to support. Not everybody. In fact, there are going to be some people that try to stop you from doing your awesome. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But there are some people that are going to want to get behind you and support you. Number two, you're going to learn things you would have not otherwise, you would have not otherwise learned. Look, when you take action, you're going you're to have experiences, you're going to mess up, you're going to make corrections, you, you, but if you stay in your comfort zone, you would never learn those things. So you, your, your, your knowledge base starts to grow because you've decided to take action towards your awesome. Number three, you start to get feedback. You get instant feedback, feedback that helps you go be, do better, faster, and act more efficiently. If you pay attention, people start to tell you, hey, hey, you're doing that a little bit, you know, off, or, or, or you, need to, you need to adjust your, your approach this way a little bit, and you get that feedback. Why? Because you're taking action. People have something to tell you. They're watching you, and we, we love feedback here at this church. In fact, everything we do, including these services, we spend time backstage do, talking about doing an eval meeting. How did that service go, and how did the music go, and how did the talk go, and what do we need to change to make it better the next service? We are constantly looking for feedback because that's how you grow. And then this last one, why does action work? Because you get motivated. Oh, you get motivated. When you start taking action towards your awesome and you start to see some progress in your life, you start to feel better or lose the weight or your marriage starts improving or the church starts growing, your business starts growing or you have whatever. You, when you start to see little bits of progress, you get exciting. Every now and then, the screen will come down here, and during the service, you'll watch me on the video screen, right? And some of you hate that, but that's okay. You love the church, and you love the multi-site vision. You understand when one church with multiple locations, one day we're going to have five or six, right? Maybe more. Now, where am I when the video screen comes down? Am I at home in bed, chilling out on Sunday morning, taking a nap? No, I'm over at the other site. I'm over in Perry Meridian. I'm over at Banta and Harding preaching live to over 700 people over there. And I'm going, holy cow, just a few years ago, we didn't have two sites. This is crazy. How do you think I feel when I leave after preaching at Banta? Do you think I feel motivated? Do you think I'm excited? Absolutely. I am filled up. I am, I am thrilled because why? We are watching God do things, things we've never done before. Guess what? We're getting ready to launch another site in Franklin. 
And I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach live there and I'm going to feel the same way. And all of you who are there serving and giving and you're going to feel the same way because it is progress. You get motivated. Action works because you get this, this cyclical uh, upward spiral of, of good feelings and motivation. Now, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time today. I want to talk about the keys to creating uh, an action-oriented person. Like, what are the things that will cause you and I to become the type of people who take action? Because that is the key to realizing you're awesome. What are those keys? Number one, action is driven by desire. Action is driven by desire. You have to be hungry. You have to be passionate. You have to want to see your awesome realized in your life. I remember years ago, my mom gave me a book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer when I first became a Christ follower. And in that book, I read this statement in, the, in one of the first chapters by the author. He was a pastor. He said, complacency is a deadly foe to all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there'll be mo no manifestation of Christ to his people. And I was blown away. Right out of the gate, I was like, wow, if I'm going to have a passionate relationship with God, if I'm going to know him, if I'm going to sense him, if I'm going to be in love with him, if I'm really going to get the most out of this, this new walk that I have, I was 17 years old, 18 years old, if I'm going to really experience God, I cannot come to him with complacency. It's okay. I mean, Jesus, he's, he's good. He's okay. I'll go to church, you know, maybe even give a little money. I have to come to him with acute desire if, I, if, if I'm going to know him. And so I just made a decision early on in my Christian life that I'm not going to be an average Christian. I'm not going to be lukewarm. I'm not going to be complacent. I'm going to go all out. Now, have I had ups and downs? Of course I have, and everybody does. But the decision to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength was made early on in my walk. And so what has that led me to do on a daily basis? Well, I'll tell you, there's time in meditation every day in my life. There's time with scripture reading every day in my life. There's prayer in my life every single day. I'm in a small group every week. Once a week, I'm in a small group with other men trying to walk this journey. I spend time in silence and solitude. Sometimes I'll go away for two days at a time just by myself. You say, that's strange. Well, I'm taking actions. Actions that are driven by desire to know God. Am I a perfect Christian? Heck no. My wife is here. She'll tell you. <laughs> I talk about my faults and failures all the time. But I've decided that I want to know God as best as I can. And that leads to action. The actions that allow me to know him in a deep way. There's a great story in the Bible about Nehemiah. Uh, I mean, I think this story captures what I'm saying perfectly. Nehemiah was a guy who was a Jewish man, and he was not living in Jerusalem. He was actually serving King Artaxerxes at the time. And he gets this news that his hometown, Jerusalem, has been invaded. The walls have been broken down, and the whole city's been burned. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, this is what we read. Nehemiah hears this news, he sits down, and he weeps. In fact, he says, days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. He was totally broken. Out of that deep desire over what happened to Jerusalem, the brokenness over Jerusalem, he, the, the, he goes to the king, and the king says, man, you need to go back to your home and, and work things out. He goes back to Jerusalem. He rallies the troops together. I'm making a long story short here. He rallies the troops together, and in 52 days, they rebuild the wall incredible actions. Where'd they come from? They came from a deep desire over what was going on in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, you will not reach awesome unless you have a burning desire. Can I ask you a question today when it comes to your awesome? 
Where's your desire at? What level is it at on a scale of one to ten? Is it a five? Is it a four? Is it a seven? How hot is your desire? Because if, you're, if your desire is not white hot, if it's not burning, you will not take the actions necessary to achieve awesome. I think it was William James who said, most of us think we have burning ambition, but really what we have is an inflamed wishbone. <laughs> Some of you will get that maybe later on today. <laughs> a dream without a to-do list is a wish list. Heard Mark Batterson say that. A dream without a to-do list is a wish list. Some of us think we have a burning desire, and we really don't. If you want your awesome to come true, you must have a white-hot burning desire. Number two, action is also driven by commitment, or action follows commitment. This is what I'm saying about, this is what I'm, this is what I'm saying about commitment. This is, this is incredible. If you and I are not 100% committed to seeing our awesome take place, it probably won't happen. It was Larry Bird who said, I have a theory that if I give 100% all, all of the time, in the end, things will work out. How did it work out for Larry? Pretty good? I mean, he was no Michael Jordan, but he was pretty high up there, isn't he? Right? He was 100% committed. He showed up early. He stayed late. He worked harder than anybody else on the court. He was all in. How did they build the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days? Well, Nehemiah was totally committed. Listen, when you are pursuing awesome, awesome is going to be difficult. There are going to pe be people that, who, that try to distract you. There are going to be obstacles that come up in your way. And it was certainly the, ca that, the, the case for Nehemiah. When Nehemiah, when Nehemiah was on the walls, he had some enemies who were trying to stop him. Tobiah and, uh, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Sanballat. Not names you want to give to your kids by any means. But, but they hated the Jews, and they wanted to stop him from building the wall. And so they were coming up with all these schemes and trying to trick him to come down off the wall. And in chapter 6, verse 3, I want you to see, this is perhaps the best verse in the whole book of Nehemiah. Listen to this. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Will I leave it and come to you? You see what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm so committed to this that I cannot stop building the wall. He was 100% committed. And, and because of his commitment, all of the other people stayed committed. And they finished the wall in 52 days. Commitment. You know, there's a great story of a conqueror named Hernando Cortez. Maybe some of you have heard this story before. Andy Andrews tells it, and you can Google that and on, on uh, YouTube. And uh, it's a great story. Back in the 1500s, Hernando Cortez decided he wanted to be a conqueror. I guess that was a job, a job you could pick back then. You know, what do you want to be? Well, you know, I want to be a farmer and, you know, or whatever, trader. Oh, I want to be a conqueror. Okay. So, uh, so he got some men together, and he decided he wanted to conquer the, Aztec, the Aztecs and, and, and steal their treasure which they had been guarding for over 600 years in, in, in Yucatan. And so uh, he got a group of guys together, about 500 soldiers and 100 sailors with 11 ships, and they sailed to Yucatan. And when they got there, when they landed, long story short, obviously his, his not obviously, but some of his men decided, man, this is the wrong decision. We got to get out of here. These guys, these guys, they have many more soldiers than we do. We're going to die here. Let's get back on the ships. And what Cortez did next was amazing. He gave the order, some of you know this story, he gave the order to destroy the ships, to sink the ships. And this is what he said to his soldiers. If we're going home, boys, 
or going home in their ships. Wow. Picture yourself as one of Cortez's soldiers. Now it's fight or die. You talk about commitment. <laughs> you talk about having to be all in. This is it. There's no options. There's no retreat. And so they fought valiantly, and they conquered the Aztecs, and they took their gold and their silver and their artifacts. Wow, what an amazing story. Here's the lesson, ready? Retreat is easy when you let yourself have the option. When you're not 100% committed, when there's boats in the harbor that you can sneak away on, when the going gets rough, you'll take that option. See, you and I struggle with keeping some boats open, don't we? Well, if, I don't, if this doesn't work out, I'll go do this. I still have this option. Some of you do this with marriage. It's insane. It's crazy. It's like, well, if this marriage don't, doesn't work out, I still have Julie from high school. Connect with her on Facebook. We're friends. You're friends? You got a, listen, you got a boat in the harbor. You have a way out. This is why we use the D word when, it, when, when couples fight. They throw this word out there because they got ships in the harbor. Just waiting. See, retreat is easy when you have left the option. you got to burn those ships. And unless you burn those ships in a marriage situation or in any other situation on your journey towards awesome, when the going gets rough, when you get a little squeamish on the inside, when you get a little fearful, you're going to say, oh, let's go, let's go back, let's go back. <laughs> let's get in the boats. Let's get out of here because this, this might hurt. That's not 100% commitment. And so how do, you, how do you become a person who takes massive action? You have burning white-hot desire, and you have total 100% commitment. Let me give you the third one. How do you become a person who takes action? You have to continually ask yourself this question right here. Watch this. What won't happen if I don't act? What won't happen if I don't act? What's that thing? And here's what the thing is. Your awesome won't happen. If you don't act, your awesome won't happen. Jim Rome said, said, said it this way. Generally, people don't change. Uh, generally, people change. Our, we change ourselves for one or two reasons. Inspiration or desperation. Have you noticed that about your life? You either get inspired or you become desperate. Was Nehemiah desperate? What do you think? Well, when he was trying to, when he was trying to get the leaders of Israel to act and take action to build the wall, listen to what he said in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned or destroyed by fire. Listen to his next statement. He says this, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this, say it with me, disgrace. It was a disgrace for Jerusalem to have no walls. See, back then, a city, its only protection were its walls. If a city didn't have walls, any group of people could come in, ransack the city, kidnap people, burn their houses down. They needed to have walls. It was an embarrassment for a city not to have walls. Nehemiah was absolutely desperate to reclaim the honor of God and the honor of Jerusalem, right? And so what did he do? He went into action, and he got all the leaders to buy in and say, yes, let's rebuild the walls and end this disgrace. People usually change their lives for one or two reasons, inspiration or desperation. In my life, I go back years ago, and I was, please, please bear with me if you've heard this story, but uh, it's, it's just part of, part of where I, how, how God developed me. When 
90 days before I got to marry this beautiful woman here, I was broke. I had no money. And I had to figure out what to do. You know, I could go cut grass, I could wait tables, but the numbers just didn't add up to me. Like, when you get married, you have to have some substantial cash. At least that's what I was told. And if you don't, guess what you are? That's what I was told. Like, you need to come to the table with some money or else you're a loser. So I'm like, oh, man, well, pressure, pressure, pressure. You know, what do I do? I literally had no money. I had a friend tell me, he said, hey, come sign up with me and sell, sell you know, Christian material, Bibles and stuff door to door. And, and you can make, like, over 10 grand in 90 days. I was like, whoa, 10 grand? That's different. <laughs> that's a whole other level as a 19-year-old as a kid to make $10,000. So I was like, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it, right? So I went to the armpit of Georgia, a place called Alma, Georgia, there were so many gnats and flies in Alma, Georgia during the summer. Like you could hardly, you breathe them in, you eat them. That's what you do. You eat the gnats. Anyway, anyway, stay with me, stay with me. So, so, so here's the deal. When I was knocking on those doors, I was thinking to myself, I have to do this because I have no money. And if I have no money, I'm a loser husband. I cannot be a loser husband. Right? Maybe my thinking was wrong, but that's what I was thinking. So I knocked on those doors. Man, people told me, get off my porch. They cussed me out. They sick their dogs on me. You name it. That summer, it happened to me. It was crazy town, okay? And I was sweating every day eating gnats. And I'd go knock on the next door and knock on the next door. And you know what? I made $12,500 in 90 days. I was hungry. Listen, listen. Here's the deal. I was hungry. I was desperate. Let's go back to the desperate quote. I love it. Inspiration or desperation. I was desperate. And that desperation caused me to take action. Right? Now, I had another roommate. Uh, his name was Pete. Pete was a pretty boy. Pete was handsome. Pete had pectorals and biceps. I mean, he was tan. I mean, he could be on the cover of GQ. He played on the football team at Liberty University. He was the bomb. He drove an Acura. His papa had money. Pete had it made. Okay? Pete knocked off every day at 12 p.m. <laughs> In the afternoon, I'd come home at 10 at night, you know, knocking on doors till it's dark at night. Pete, how's your day going? Oh, I was chilling at the pool. Pete didn't have any desperation. He didn't have a reason to go, right? So he knocked off. I had another roommate. There's three of us. His name was uh, Nick Barella. Insane individual. He also played football for Liberty University. They both did. Pete, uh, Nick was on a scholarship. Nick was inspired. Nick heard about... The boss's son, who was also a rookie door-to-door -door salesman that summer, and Nick decided that he wanted to be the number one sales salesman that summer, beating the boss's son. He didn't need the money. He was just inspired. So Nick worked harder. Nick stayed out later. He started earlier. He knocked on more doors. He was an absolute animal. And he came in second that summer, right? Inspiration or desperation. Here's what I've noticed just about my life. Call me crazy. I don't need, just, 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 this is maybe not. If you keep this question in front of you, if I don't act, blank won't happen. You keep that in front of you, you are either going to be inspired or you are going to get desperate. You're going to create the scenario of desperation or inspiration in your life by keeping this question in front of you. Maybe you can answer it today. If I don't act, blank won't happen. Blank is your awesome. It's not going to happen unless you're willing to grind, unless you're inspired, unless you're desperate. Let's talk about the last one really quick. Let's talk about number four, 
and a person becomes action-oriented when they are able to chunk things down, slice things down, take their awesome and break it into small bite-sized chunks that they can eat. See, many, many times we don't act on our awesome, whatever our awesome is, because it's so overwhelming. Oh, I want to lose 20 pounds. Where do I start? I don't know. It's so confusing. My, my diet, my exercise plan. Oh, I want to start a, a nonprofit organization. Where do I start? I want to write a book. Where do you start? It's so, it's so difficult when, you, when you're overwhelmed by the, the, the size of the task or the size of the awesome that we do nothing. We get stuck in the aim mode. But what if you broke it down into smaller bite-sized pieces? This is what Nehemiah did. Check it out. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 28. Each person, each family, each one repaired the section immediately across from his house. See, they didn't have a crew that went around, a crew of like 50 guys, and build a wall. No. They said, hey, you build this piece, you build this piece, you build this piece, you build this piece, you build this piece. And together, all of the families built the wall in 52 days. Is that crazy? I love it. What a great book on, on leadership and life. You should read the book of Nehemiah. It's filled with this stuff. They broke it down into bite-sized chunks that was manageable for each family. It was Zig Ziglar who said it this way. By the mile, it's hard. By the, yard, by the mile, it's a trial. By the yard, it's hard. But by the inch, it's a what? It's a cinch. I'm trying to apply this to my life. Just write 500 words a day. How do you write a book? You write a little bit each and every day. You chunk it down into smaller bite-sized pieces. Listen, here's what I'm saying today. I want you to reach awesome. I believe God wants you to live an awesome life. I believe with all of my heart that he has prepared in advance good works for every single one of you to do. I believe that you were created to make a difference. If that's going to be realized, you have to become an action-oriented person who's willing to grind day in and day out. Is anybody excited about this but me? Are you excited about this? Are you, hey, are you ready to grind? Are you willing to grind? You have to leave here today saying, okay, I'm going to chunk it down. I'm going I'm to get fired up. I'm going to go, I'm going to burn my ships. Anybody excited about burning some ships? I'm going to sink some ships. I'm going I'm to continually ask myself what won't happen if I don't act. And I'm telling you, what, what, you watch, you watch. You're going to see yourself moving, getting out of your comfort zone and doing things that are necessary to reach your awesome. Now, ironically, here's, here, this, is, this is kind of ironic. When it comes to knowing God, when it comes to being in a relationship with God, I've talked a lot today about working and grinding and effort and all work leads to profit and all that stuff. It's crazy to think about it this way. But when it comes to receiving the forgiveness of sins, when it comes to knowing God, when it comes to being reconciled to God, being put back in a relationship with God, you don't have to work at all. I think that's crazy. In fact, Many Christians refuse to even entertain that idea because they think, well, there's no such thing as a free lunch. If you want to know God, you got to work. you got to go to church and be a good person. you got to stop doing bad things. And if you don't do all those stuff, if you don't work your way to heaven, God will not let you in. It's, it's, it, because it's so, it goes against our nature to think that you can get something for nothing. But that is the, the crazy thing about the gospel. Grace is scandalous. I'm telling you, it doesn't make sense. Jesus says here, I've died on the cross for you. I've paid the penalty for your sins. In fact, there's nothing, there's zero that you can do to get to heaven. You can't work your way there. You can't climb a bridge or do, you can do a bunch of stuff. You can't go to church. You can't be good, ever be good enough. I've done it all. All you have to do is receive my gift of forgiveness that I provided for, for you on the cross by faith. It's crazy. But it's true. Grace 
is scandalous. Now, if you want to know God, if you want to be reconciled with God, this is your opportunity to say to him right now, he's listening, he's saying, okay, I will give you eternal life if you open up your heart and you simply receive it as a gift by faith. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you on the cross, that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty of your sin, and that when you put your faith in him, your sins are washed away and you become his child. If you believe that, if you know that, you can become one of his children today simply by accepting that gift by faith. If you'd like to do that right now, I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and say this simple prayer to God. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin so that I can be forgiven, so that I can be reconciled to you, so that I could become your child. I place my faith in you right now for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life, and for abundant life. Help me from this day forward to realize, live in, and experience the awesome life that you have planned for me. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, what a fantastic decision. Can we actually give those of you who did that a hand, give God glory for that. That is just the beginning of your walk. Here's what I want you to do. If you prayed to receive Christ today, please go back to the tables back here to my left and to my right and tell them you prayed to receive Christ. And then what they'll do is put one of these one-year Bibles in your hand. I'm telling you, if you begin reading this book every single day, what you're going to find is that God is going to reveal who he is to you. He's going to reveal what type of person he wants you to become and how to become that person. You're going to know him. You're going to hear his voice. You're going to be close to him if you spend time reading it, okay? I heard someone say the other day, he who doesn't read is not any better or is no better than those who can't read. He who doesn't read is no better than those who can't read. So will you grab one of these and begin reading? The other day I saw one of these in Half Price Books and I about cried. (laughs) I thought, no! You're supposed to read it, not sell it to Half Price Books. (laughs) Right? So go back there, grab one of these, and begin reading on today's date. I love, love, love you so much. Hey, hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Are you ready to go out and grind? Is your new motto going to be rise and grind instead of rise and shine? Tomorrow, listen, you don't have to wait till tomorrow morning, but tomorrow morning, will you get out of bed and say, rise and grind? I mean, will you be the type of person who takes action? Will you turn, will you light yourself on fire and become passionate? Will you be committed? Will you continually keep in mind of what won't happen if you don't act? Will you be that type of person who grinds? day in and day out. I'm telling you, over time, over time, you're going to see awesome take place in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how gracious are you to give us a place like this, an environment like this, to talk about life and the word and and how it interacts with us. And God, to present the gospel of grace and forgiveness to those who want it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I pray that more and more people would, would come in contact with you and begin to know you and begin to experience the life that you have planned for us. Thank you for planning our lives out. And God, thank you for creating us to live an awesome life. For your glory, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Next week, you are not going to want to miss, we're going to be talking about the necessity of having the right people around you. You are the average of the closest five people to you. Bring a friend. We'll see you next week.